Every WWE superstar dreams of being a champion. And when they achieve this glory, it creates a moment that transcends time. The boyhood dream has come true. Austin is the champion. These are moments that you work your whole life to be a part of. Dreams do come true. Now, on a night where every championship will be defended, whose moment has come. My name is Randy Orton, WWE Champion. Those who possess their prize have the most at stake. How can Randy Orton possibly survive this? Because the ones without have nothing to lose. There won't be a chance Jeff Hardy will not take to earn the World Heavyweight title. So whether you're trying to make a name for yourself. I'm Dolph Ziggler. Looks like I got your attention. Protect the one you have. Jeff, look at yourself. You're a joke. Sorry, man. I guess I'm not as perfect as you. Or make certain yours is engraved into the annals of time. A triple threat match for the WWE Championship. The WWE Universe will see one of the greatest matches of all time. When this opportunity is all you might have left. You know what your chances are of beating me at Night of Champions? Zero. Who poses the biggest threat and how far will they go? I will fight like my life depends on it. Who will stand alone? As champion. Let's go. Ain't no way they can stop me now, daddy, cause I'm on my way. I can feel my ring coming. It's the blood of a champion. Always deep inside my veins. He's subscribed to me running. I'ma get what I can and more. Even if my blood, my sweat, and my tears don't mean nothing. It's the heart of a champion. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by... The one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. Patrick, here we are, the middle of summer, and the humidity is creeping up and up. It is Holy almost shit. pure water outside, It is hot. It is so hot that the cornfields are popping into popcorn. That cornfield, you should probably have it looked at, because I'm not sure it's supposed to do that. Yes, I know. I'm complaining, but... It's been much worse in other parts of the country where they've had to issue heat wave advisories and all, not ECW heat wave advisories. I issued that a couple weeks on this you did. program. You did. Do not watch ECW heat wave 2000. Ooh, ooh, that was rough. But by the time this podcast is edited and out in our city, the lows sometime this week are going to be in the 60s, though. So that sounds wonderful. Anything is an improvement as long as the air is not as humid. That is the main thing. It's just. You can't stand outside. No, you can't breathe because it's just so humid outside that it takes your breath away, literally. Well, while the temperature is rising outside, Patrick, what is rising in the world of pro wrestling? Well, so I've got to start off with this one because I'm just going to read you the entire conversation because it is quite hilarious. X-Pac, Sean Waltman, goes on his podcast and is retiring, kind of? Let me read what he said. By the way, I'm fucking done with wrestling. Oh, I'm done, yeah. I'm not saying I'm never going to have another match, but, I mean, yeah, 
I have decided. The WrestleMania weekend show, myself and Hurricane and Liger, that's it, man. That's it, man. That was it. I'm fucking done. If I have a match in WWE on a WrestleMania or actually I'm not interested in having a match on a show like an NXT TakeOver, it would mean more to me. Maybe I'd team with Matt Riddle, maybe a six-man, so I can have a little bit more protection. So he says he's done. But then he's talking about yeah. He so, sets up his next match. So the very next I don't. Thing. I don't. Well, he needs to fill time on his podcast. When you are doing a podcast, you need to fill with stuff. Sometimes you don't have much to talk about, and you have to fill. And so it sounded like he was just thinking out loud about what yes. am I going to do in the ring? Am I going to do anything else in the ring, or am I done? Or if I'm not done, I'm probably going to wrestle this guy. And. As you know, you never take wrestlers at their word for anything. Oh, God. So I would not consider this much. I mean, yeah, he starts to second-guess himself towards the end of what you just read. So I don't think it's the end of the road for Sean Waltman. Sean Waltman, out of the click guys that are still uh, alive and around, well, I mean, I guess all of them are, but... He's the luckiest one so far, as much drugs and stuff as he's done. Yeah, and physically, he's in probably the best shape out of all of those guys. That's and his, crazy to say, but it's true. Yeah, over the past year or two, Sean Waltman has gotten in tremendous shape and has always continued to work on the indie scene, and I don't think he would go to the Saudi Arabia show, so I don't know that he's going to get any more work with the wwe as far as being featured but he can certainly continue to wrestle as long as he would like to because he is a star i mean we make fun of x-pac go away heat but he's a star that people know even though the one time i had an opportunity to get his autograph i was like no that's okay yeah you got your picture with him well that's just because they were standing together i would have i would have felt bad to be like hey man can you get out of the picture because i just want to be in a picture of scott hall or whatever but (laughs) he is a talented performer and for shows that don't have legends stopping in there if you're promoting an independent show and you want to bring a name from the past that can still work a little bit and do a pretty good job of it then i think yeah he he should continue to just do that and um yeah don't know that I ever want to see him in a WWE ring again, but apparently he wants to see himself in one. To see how many producers and road agents they've added that are former wrestlers, he probably sees a paycheck out there that he could be getting. Or even take the Shawn Michaels route and go to Orlando and just work at the Performance Center. Right. Because it's probably really, really good money. And you don't have to travel to these indie shows and and hustle the old-fashioned way. You can get the easy paycheck. And if he was already down there, then yeah, he could get thrown on NXT TV from time to time. But the company has never really been interested in him once he left. I mean, he's made sporadic appearances, but as a guy that could still go, I mean, the guy that was still active on the circuit, it's strange that they never were interested in bringing him back. But he has had a lot of problems drug-wise that has come and gone and come and gone. And I think in their eyes, they don't want to be burned by him, especially since he is one of the clique. He is one of Triple H's boys. At the same time, part-timers aren't subjected to drug testing. True. They're not held to the same standard. You don't have to bring him in for a long trek, you know, a long stay. I mean, you can just bring him in whenever. I mean, it's just strange to me that even for... Is he part of the Raw reunion on Monday? I'm sure he is. 
I just find it strange that he's been invited back, but not to wrestle ever. Even guys that were older, not to put him in the same league as like Kurt Angle or Bill Goldberg, I mean, but like Kurt Angle had drug issues and health issues and they threw him out there and yeah. put him in matches, put him in basically the biggest match of that year's WrestleMania with Ronda Rousey. Not saying that's a spot for X-Pac, Sean Waltman, but uh, they've definitely they brought back Road Dog to not only perform with the New Age Outlaws at the WrestleMania we went to, WrestleMania 30. They gave him a role riding SmackDown for a while. Yeah. So don't know what it is about Sean Waltman. Uh, maybe it was his relationship with China that they just wanted no part of, I guess. I don't know. Even a guy like Hurricane Helms, who he mentions wrestling with, they brought him back for one-offs, rumble yeah. appearances, just to throw away spot. Jeff Jarrett had a match on Raw. He was in the Rumble. That's that's crazy to me. Like, but no time for Sean Waltman, who yeah. in their intro, like in the Monday Night Wars, he's a key component because he came back. He was like the first guy to come back from the WCW and put in a prominent role. Basically, the night he was reintroduced was the night after Sean. Yeah. Retired supposedly. Here's the replacement for Shawn Michaels. Was basically what. Yeah. Well, he's got. He was the number two in DX as Triple H's number one. But that's a very prominent role, and to never utilize him once he was done with the company is strange. I. It's very odd to me. But yeah, they have brought him back for stuff like Raw 25 and hall of fames and he ran in during the sting match at that year's wrestlemania and so he's been around the company well i mean he, he is a hall of famer yeah not in the video games though not in the video games yeah so I although don't... he will be this year since we're getting dx this year so we'll see we'll see about that don't get your hopes up Patrick. you're holding out yeah you're holding out um the Raw reunion, the one I was shocked to hear about, is Melina. Yeah, she was a, a late addition. Melina was added late, I think. I don't remember her being in the promos that aired during Raw or SmackDown, so I think she was a late addition. But here is the list of people so far. Alundra Blaze, Booker T, Christian, Devon Dudley, DX, excluding Billy Gunn, of course, who is working with All Elite Wrestling, Eric Bischoff. Who, I'm sure Billy Gunn might be there. He's not on the list. Oh, okay. Gerald Briscoe, Hulk Hogan, Hurricane Helms, Jerry Lawler, Jimmy Hart, who's at everything, Kelly Kelly, Kevin Nash, Kurt Angle, Lillian Garcia, Mark Henry, Molina, McFoley, Pat Patterson, Ric Flair, Rikishi, Ron Simmons, Santino Morella, Scott Hall, Sergeant Slaughter, Shawn Michaels, Sid Vicious, Steve Austin, Ted DiBiase Sr., the Boogeyman, and The Godfather. Most of these names have pretty much appeared at everything. Mickey James, obviously, tore her ACL. She had surgery. It went well, so she's on her road to recovery. So uh, get better soon. The other health update, um, Harley Race on his way to Knoxville, just two hours north of us, uh, for the Fanboy Expo. I do believe that's what it was. Yeah, he had to cancel his appearance. He had to cancel his appearance. Unfortunately, on his way up there, he um, about halfway had some medical issues and had to be took to the hospital and has been held at the hospital for future evaluations and uh, for, or for further evaluation. I'm, who we already know has been battling health problems. Harley Race is uh, is is one tough man. I mean, there is none tougher, I do believe, than Harley Race, and so. He's hanging in there. Stay tough, man. 
Moving forward, though, uh, Alexa Bliss had a match in a Fatal 4-Way in which it was not perceived as coming across very kindly by the fans who started chanting, boring, and this is awful. Uh, She took to Twitter to let that be known that it was disrespectful, and she did not like it. <laughs> How do yeah. you want to? I no, I, I've I, got a way of going about this, but you you take the reins on this one first off. I saw the tweets after the match on Monday night. It was a very strange position that they were put in anyway, because Raw the last month or so has not been putting on matches that last more than a couple minutes. They've been doing this really weird thing where they didn't want to take commercial breaks, so they've been doing like two out of three falls matches or like elimination style matches. So they could wedge a commercial break in and stop the match, basically. So all these matches have been five minutes. is basically the most TV time a match would get. For some reason on Monday, they decided to give these performers 25 minutes, and it just died a death. It wasn't a very good match, and the crowd responded with what they felt like uh, they were witnessing. It was to determine a number one contender, and I think that's the coldest way of doing these when you just say, okay, there's no storyline involved anyway, so there's nothing to be invested in. It's just four random wrestlers are going to go out there. Natalia ended up winning it. So now you have a face versus a face for the title at SummerSlam. So that program, I don't know how hot it's going to get because it's in Canada. SummerSlam's in Canada. So she's going to be a face in there. Even if they turn her heel, they're not going to turn Becky into a heel. Uh, But as far as her reaction, I think that she would have been better off just not saying anything about it. You can feel that way. You can feel like they're being disrespectful or whatever. But, I mean, ultimately it's on you as a performer to put on an entertaining match. And if you can't do that, the solution isn't to tell them, you're rude, please don't react to matches in the way that we don't want you to. Because you can't have it both ways in pro wrestling and and say, oh, you guys are free to express yourself, bring your signs boo chant do whatever just have a good time and then when things don't go your way you throw a fit male wrestlers that are doing this like seth rollins a few weeks back when he was on twitter yelling at fans for saying that the wwe product's bad that's that's the same move that i think just keep it to yourself man just keep it to yourself let your work speak for itself and good things will happen yes because you can't control people's emotions you can't control how people react and a lot of people responded to Alexa Bliss, that tweet and stuff, and brought up the fact that crowds in the 90s and some of the shows that we've watched, the crowds have been ruder in the past. Yeah, Even going back a year or two ago, there was an instance where they were, ch- they were, they were chanting about the wrestler's boyfriend saying, you suck Cena, like, to Nikki Bella, and then, like, naming their boyfriends and saying that they're sucking their dicks or something. Yeah. That crowd was not rude on Monday night compared to that crowd or crowds from the Attitude Era that just wanted to see your boobs or call you a slut or do whatever. So I would advise her to go back and watch some tape (laughs) of not only her match, but matches in the past that have elicited this reaction. There have been men's matches that elicited this reaction. That Raw After Mania where Ziggler cashed in that match in the middle between like Randy Orton and Sheamus that got the crowd doing the wave and chanting the announcers' names and all this other stuff. Yeah, if you put on a bad match, you're going to get bad reactions. Yeah, yeah, no, that's my 
my side of it. I think it's on you to keep them invested. And if you can't do that, then that's your problem. If they're letting you know they don't like it, then what do you need to do? You need to either change it right then and there or take note of it and be like, all right, I got to come out swinging next time. Here's the deal. The wrestling world is changing. Once again, all over again with AEW, with all of this whole span of the attitude starting to come back in. Wrestling's changing. And so this, of them chaining boring or terrible or whatever, was nothing, nothing compared to what she's going to get if she doesn't get her shit together. That is as real as it gets. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. And Yeah, she's actually made the situation worse. Oh, a lot worse. A whole lot worse. A whole lot worse. Because had she not tweeted anything about it, the match would have been forgotten about. Yep. And, and now going, now next week or the next coming couple of matches, they're going to do it out of spite now just to piss her off. You just have to put together good matches. I mean, sometimes the booking doesn't help you out. Like I said, it was kind of a heatless setup to get Becky's next opponent because we're, we're done with the Lacey Evans stuff. So the, all four performers will have good matches going forward. So I don't. it'll be fine. Instead of instigating the people that follow you on social media by saying something like that on Twitter. so Just to piss them off. And to get it more. Well, yeah, she is a heel, so it does make sense. But now it's, I just think it's unnecessary. It just makes her look bad because it's not, I don't know. Just when things don't go your way in in life in general, don't whine about it on social media. That's, it's as simple as that. Just suck it up and move on. Yeah. Especially when I think you are in the wrong. If you have a question about, maybe I'm in the wrong for saying this. Don't fucking say it. Just <laughs> shut up and go along. couple months out from StarCast number three, your headliner for StarCast number three is none other than Mr. Straight Edge himself, CM Punk. He knew we were going to review Night of Champions 2009, so he waited till this week to announce it. Well, yeah. So I thought that was very nice of him because now the main event ties into him and Jeff Hardy, who have both been in the news for various reasons the past various couple reasons. weeks this is a very big get for starcast because punk doesn't do a lot of these but he's already in chicago to me it's a no-brainer that he would just drive over and make all this money and then check out and leave you know and go home yeah, not go could, to a hotel not another, go home by not doing so many conventions or opportunities for meet and greets and stuff like that CM Punk has bumped his own value. You know, the idea, the memory of CM Punk, that's why you get CM Punk chants. That's why you get people... That's why this is a huge announcement, because he hasn't oversaturated the market with appearances or working indie shows or, like, continuing with wrestling, like, continuing to be in the public very much. Even with his two UFC fights, he was not out there a lot promoting them. I mean, he basically trained for the fights, had the fights, and would disappear again. And so by doing that, he's increased the value of his brand. And so he can do one of these appearances, charge whatever he wants to, and make bank, and then just go on about your day so i think it's a it's a no-brainer for him to do this now no-brainer here the following night at all out do you see the re-debut in wrestling of cm punk i don't see him actually joining AEW the next night really no i i really do think he's done with pro wrestling for the foreseeable future i know that he 
did that indie show under the mask and hit a GTS or something. But that was for one of his friends. It wasn't like, I'm coming out of retirement tonight or whatever. It was just a one-off thing. But I think he's moved on from pro wrestling. See, I think he's actually considering it. I think he's actually seeing wrestling is changing. He's seeing that this is my chance to let my voice be heard about the crap that WWE put me through and the crap that when I left, how they had a free range to talk shit about me, but I didn't say anything back. This is my chance. Just, I mean, it's no, it's no different than John Moxley leaving and going to AEW and talking shit about here's how I was treated. The only difference between the two of them is time. Well, CM Punk got fired on his wedding day. He got sued over that podcast appearance by the company. He had to fight with the company over getting his name back. He had a lot of fights with the company since leaving. Whereas Dean Ambrose, his wife still works for the company. Yeah. So even though he did go on Talk as Jericho and trash his time there, he didn't actually trash really individuals. He didn't have a lot of gripes. He had gripes with the creative process. But that, unfortunately, is the machine that they have turned into. That's how they do things. They only know one way to do things. And you can have a problem with the system and complain about it. I think tomorrow, if he wanted to go back there, the door would be wide open for him to go back there. I don't think so. Really? I don't think so. I think because he was such, in their eyes, a difficult person to deal with that they don't want him back. They don't want to have to put up with him or deal with him. But in CM Punk's case... um, Depending on how AEW does television and what they expect from CM Punk, if CM Punk were to go back into wrestling, I don't think he would be on their weekly TV. I think he would be maybe one weekly TV a month and then the pay-per-view. And I don't know if they're planning on doing monthly pay-per-views. I don't know that he'd want to do monthly pay-per-views. He'd want a Chris Jericho kind of schedule where you can just float in and float out and just be able to... Oh, I'm sure they would be willing to even give him that. Oh, yeah, yeah. He could probably get it. I just don't know that he wants to. If they get him, I think the bigger get for them would actually be his wife. Because, yeah, having her to bolster the women's division of their product, I think, would actually be the bigger get. Because they have some talented female wrestlers, but having her would add the top star instantly. I think that would be the more intriguing reason to sign him is to get her if she's part of the deal. If she's not part of the deal, like I said, you always just have to equate what he is going to want to be paid to the value that he brings to the product. If they, And we won't know that until October if they actually do sign him and what he brings to ratings and what he brings with advertisers and that kind of stuff. Uh, that's my only word of caution, really, to signing him is just cost versus reward. You got to know what you're doing because he could very easily become amazing, an amazing aspect to your television show, or he can become the downward spiral because you can offer him all this money, but if you're not getting out of it what you need, then you're just shooting yourself in the foot. I don't think he's going to get like the Hulk Hogan 1998 contract where he gets <laughs> millions of dollars and. and pieces of the the gate and pieces of the pay-per-view percentage and all this other crazy stuff that like hulk hogan had or creative control even but even just whatever money they give him though i just don't know that it's worth that when you have you have younger talent like an mjf who is becoming a top heel in the business who's only 23 who's going to work a lot cheaper than a cm punk 
and he's on the rise, where CM Punk is towards the back end of his career if he continues to have a wrestling career. That's another thing they've got to wrestle with, no pun intended, is signing old WWE names and not turning into TNA of 2010 where, oh, you worked for the old company? Come on in. Yeah. Because, like, they've done a lot of work with Sean Spears over the last few weeks in the chair shot to Cody and everything to build up their match and their rivalry. But to me, Sean Spears is not the kind of guy you need to sign from the WWE. And I'm not saying CM Punk is Ty Dillinger. I think there's a huge difference. But it does open that possibility up that we're just going to sign WWE guys, ex-WWE guys. doesn't matter who they are. Just name value. If they can bring any name value, they'll get a job. And Sean Spears is Cody's friend from his training days. So this is something beyond just an ex-WWE guy. But I just hope that they know how to balance new stars and stars that still have value from the other company. Well, you bring up Sean Spears. I love this. Sean Spears has Tully Blanchard as his new executive advisor. So Tully Blanchard. Original Four Horsemen member, Tully Blanchard, is going to be managing Sean Spears. I love this. It brings old school back into it. It brings Rhodes and Horsemen back into it. it. It's brilliant. It is flat out, hands down, an amazing move. Well, they definitely see a part of the market that once WCW folded, those wrestling fans, some fans just left and never came back. And so this is their attempt to try to grab those hardcore NWA fans that weren't necessarily fans of what was going on in WCW in 2001, but just fans of that lineage and that heritage who just checked out when it was done. When when Flair and Sting put on the last match, they just, that was it. I'm never turning on wrestling again. And so I think that they believe that there's a percentage of those people still out there and that never came back, and this is their attempt to pull them back in. I also think in a couple of years when her contract is up, this is a good way to try to recruit his daughter, Tessa, to be in their company because she is the top star of Impact Wrestling right now. And in addition to AJ Lee, I think even bigger would be getting Tessa Blanchard yes. on the roster. Yes. So it's a... T- it, It works for multiple reasons, and also because I think Sean Spears is the kind of wrestler that would need a good manager that can talk very well and stuff. And What as much as that to have Tully Blanchard? Tully Blanchard is the outward asshole, I guess is the best way to put it, because he carries himself so professionally and so respectfully that he you just want to knock him the fuck out. Like And that was Horseman. That's what got him as a Horseman. That's when he was out of the Horseman. That's when it was him and Arn Anderson as the, the brain busters. They were just, he carries himself so professionally. He is an outward asshole. Not even trying to be. And I think that works perfect into Sean Spears' character and into what they're trying to get. But he can take a punch or he can give a punch. He can so he's a great manager on that aspect that if he climbs on the turn, you know, onto the ring apron and just knocks the shit out of Cody. You're believing. I mean, you're going to buy into the fact he just nailed the hell out of him, you know. This isn't JJ Dillon throwing a punch. This isn't Bobby Heenan throwing. I mean, this is Tully Blanchard. So, no, I think it's a I, rugged old man. 
I love it. I tr- I genuinely deep down, it's got me invested. I am. Well, congratulations! You were knocking the Sean Spears signing, so now you're you're all in. I am. I am all in. It didn't take much to turn you. But it didn't. It didn't. I am extremely excited about it. So, um, but yeah, I think it's great. WWE has canceled for the second time its live event in Arkansas. They've been canceling a lot of these Monday SmackDown house shows because since the wild card rule has gone into effect, they want access to all that talent. And also, house show numbers have been down significantly. The quarterly earnings report, I think, is coming out very soon, maybe this week. I'm not sure when it comes out soon. But in quarter one, their house show attendance was really bad. And Vince said that at the time that he thought he had an answer for it, well, maybe the answer for it is just cutting them down significantly or just eliminating them. And, I mean, we've discussed the problem with house shows many times. I think it would be wise for them to just take a camera there and stick them on the network. That gives you at least something to say, okay, well, maybe something here might happen. Maybe there's a reason to go to these things. Maybe there's a reason to just watch them on the network. Maybe you have guys that don't get a lot of TV time just tear the house down with great matches. And, I mean, I know they already have like 205 Live where that happens, but they got to figure out what to do about house shows and how to keep them afloat. Or maybe maybe it's time to just end house shows. I don't know. They If the cost of running them and the cost to the talent as far as traveling to them and everything involved, if it's not worth it anymore, it's just time to pull the plug. Maybe house shows are just a thing of the past, especially for a company that, that does as much already as the WWE. Now, an AEW that will have one TV show a week, as far as we know, instead of eight hours of programming every week, they can run a house show every once in a while because they're not overexposed. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what the solution to house shows is. I think it might just be time to end the end the concept. You're just too big of a company. You produce too much television to do events that aren't canon, that aren't progressing storylines, and aren't drawing crowds. I think it's just time to, to cut, cut the cord. And that would give talent one extra day off a week. And I think they would... Oh, they're ra- going to they're gonna need it. <laughs> I think they would rather have the day off than do the house shows. They're going to need it for sure, especially with uh, October coming. Finn Balor has asked for two months off. He is actually engaged to Fox Sports broadcaster Vero Rodriguez. On Raw, it was the debut of Bray Wyatt in the ring with the mask on. And yes. And he, he attacked... Finn Balor. So we have the Fiend versus the Demon lined up for SummerSlam. Now the Demon has not lost a match so I don't actually know if they're going to have him put on the paint to to break that streak because I don't see them defeating Bray Wyatt right out of this gate out of a return. I don't know. That's a really tough call to me. If If they put Finn in the paint I really would hate them to waste his one loss in the paint on the main roster. He has lost as the demon in NXT, so it's a fake streak. Much like every other streak in wrestling, (laughs) it's based on lies. I would hate for them to burn it. I would hate for them to burn it because streaks in general, if you can keep them going, I think it's always best to keep them going until it's the actual right time. And I don't know that Bray Wyatt wrestling in this clown mask is the right time. I mean, I could be wrong. He could be the next greatest thing. It's still Bray Wyatt wrestling. 
and he's in great shape, but he's also not had a match in several months. Almost, I think it's been over a year since yeah. he's had a match. Don't know what to expect from him, and also don't know what to expect with this character moving forward now that they've stopped the Funhouse segments. So I would really hate for them to burn this loss on the demon. So, very interesting, but that's how they're going to write Finn Balor off TV, I guess. Is Two quick ones. Colt Cabana's podcast is coming to an end. No more. Oh yeah, The Art of Wrestling, which was one of the original wrestling podcasts to actually garner a following. I'm not going to say it was the first, but it was a groundbreaking format to have wrestlers who were still active sit down and talk with him. He inspired a ton of podcasters that followed. Got sued. Uh, basically brought a real discussion about freedom of speech to the table from this lawsuit then changed the format of the podcast to where it was more like a, a road diary basically of what he was up to and stuff so sadly it's come to an end but he's been doing a lot when you get sued for half a million dollars and then you have to pay your lawyers then you sue CM Punk to get some of the money back you gotta go wrestle a lot and so the guy doesn't have a lot of time to editing these things take a lot of time putting them together takes especially what he was doing was really advantageous but it's just so much work and so I think for the time I think he may return to it one day but he's setting it aside for now uh, Jeff Jarrett is the first inductee into the 2019 NWA Hall of Fame. So that means we're going to start having a yearly Hall of Fame with the NWA. I'm looking forward to that. But Jeff Jarrett also better get ready because he's got to get his lawyers together because he is getting countersued by Anthem. More news to follow in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, so it's still about the GFW name and brand and those amped tapings that he was so upset that they had the rights to. And they've already corrected some of these things. I don't know that that means that Anthem is guilty of actually infringing on his copyright, but they deleted the tapes. We talked about this a a month or two ago. Those tapes don't exist anymore, they say. They deleted them off their hard drive, so they don't have those anymore. And they changed the name of GWN. It's now the Impact Plus. Yeah. So there's no Green W anymore. Yeah. So I don't know if that's going to help them or hurt them because it kind of makes them look guilty to me when you're saying, <laughs> oh, hey, we didn't infringe on your copyright, but we're going to change everything just in case. That's not a good look for them. They're going to be tied up in court in this thing for years to come. And it's not they're not even asking for much from him. They're only asking for like $40,000. Yeah. And after you get all the attorney's fees figured in there, I just don't know if any of this was worth it. So It was more or less a publicity in my opinion. But He was I think he was bitter about being let go from them yes. when he took his hiatus to yes. deal with his drinking issues yes. and just struck them the only way that Americans know how to strike back and that's through the courts is I'll sue you, buddy. So that's what he did. (laughs) This was your pick this week. Didn't go back too far. Went back to 2009. In the WWE, I would actually say this was sort of a down period. But it's also because I really wasn't watching a lot here. This was 2009, the summer of 2009, July 26th. I had just graduated from college. The place where I met you, the warehouse we worked at, shut down. Yeah. It was... uh, We watched this together, though. I do remember this. I know we watched SummerSlam together. I don't know if we watched this one. Um, But we watched one of them. Because I remember the Ziggler and Ray match. And I don't know if it was from this one or SummerSlam. But I wasn't into the product that much at this time. They had had a lot of stars leave. Like, there's no rock coming in for a one-off anymore they don't have batista if you consider him a star they don't have no austin 
no Kurt Angle. No Angle. The stars of the past had kind of moved on. Shawn Michaels was winding things down. Undertaker wasn't mm-hmm. appearing as much. Plus, the product, in 2008, when Linda McMahon decided to run for Senate, decided to go PG. So I think this was a company struggling with how to find its way when they had been doing things a certain way that led them to all this success, and now they have to redo it. And so in come the scripted promos. In come... I actually thought TNA had a really good roster at this time, but this was a time when WWE wasn't really invested in in bringing indie guys in, so... There's no great workers um, for the most part. For the most part, their roster is a lot of guys that they cultivated themselves. I just don't think it was that good of a product, really. I don't think things heated back up in the WWE until around 2011, really. It was This is the period of time that John Cena, when he finally does say that he's done with wrestling, this is the time that he should really get the most credit for because if you look at this roster and everyone that was on this show... He's the only star that stands out. Yeah. I hate to say it. No one else looks like a star. No one else looks special. But John Cena stands out amongst the crowd of people. For good or bad, I mean, he was still getting John Cena reactions in 2009. Nothing's changed there. But the fact that he gets reactions like that at all, he was carrying this company, I think, on his back as far as being the weekly star. Yeah. Now, he wasn't as big of a star as a Stone Cold Steve Austin or guys that came before him. That's a big disadvantage to his legacy, but that's just how it was. It's July 26, 2009, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where they just had extreme rules in 2019. So, hey, this is all coming together. It all makes sense. It's at the Wachovia Center in front of 17,774 people. And the tagline for Night of Champions is every championship is on the line, which that really should be like every show. Every pay-per-view should have all your... You should have enough storyline for all your titles that every pay-per-view is a Night of Champions. Yes, you should. But now, at this point, with all these titles, a Night of Champions would take seven hours. More than WrestleMania, I think. Yeah, because WrestleMania, not every title even gets defended now. That's true, yeah. Well, they just don't have time. They, We'd be here. WrestleMania would still be going on if it was a Night of Champions. Night of Champions was an interesting concept. It ended in 2015, so Sting versus Seth Rollins is what will forever be burnt in my brain as the last image of Night of Champions as Sting goes crashing into the buckle with the buckle bomb. They had actually changed it, I think, to Clash of Champions by then, or something. Clash of the Champions. An interesting concept. This is also coming off the end of the brand split pay-per-views after December to Dismember in 2006. So all the rosters from all the shows are there. You have three sets of announcers, three ring announcers. There was a lot going on on these pay-per-views. The intro plays every WWE superstar dreams of becoming champion. Do they, though? I think some don't. Does Titus O'Neil actually dream of becoming a champion one day? He just dreams of getting a paycheck. Yeah, he <laughs> he dreams of getting Dad of the Year awards, I think. Who will stand alone as champion? And by alone, there are many champions in WWE, so I don't know what that's talking about. Something we don't get in 2019, huge pyro to open the show. Holy shit, they they must have spent $1,000 on pyro. That is just too expensive. Michael Cole and Jerry Lawler have the call to start the night. They are the raw commentators, as this was another time in their history where they decided to fuck with JR and move him to SmackDown, but not as the play-by-play guy. No, 
he would be color commentary with Todd Grisham as the lead announcer on SmackDown. We'll, we'll see how well he does tonight. The Unified Tag Team Championship is up first, which I think that they should go back to having a Unified Tag Champion that can just go back and forth yes. in 2019. I do too. This was a good idea. Cody Rhodes and Ted DiBiase Jr. will challenge Chris Jericho and Edge, right? No. Edge tore his Achilles. So this is the debut tonight. What a historical moment we're reviewing. Jericho. Yes. Oh, the birth of Jericho, which would then transform into Show Miz. So two very good tag team names back to back. Jericho tosses to a package featuring Edge explaining his injury and then claiming he's coming to kick Chris Jericho's ass. So it's weird that Chris Jericho knew that Edge taped this message to him, calling him out, and then and then aired it. This guy wants to throw down with me. Yeah. Here he is, everybody. That's so weird. And he would feud with him very briefly after that 2010 Royal Rumble that we saw Edge win. That's when he returned. Mm-hmm. Big Show starts against Cody, gives him a big chop, which Cody would wear this chop the rest of the night, by the way. Rhodes tags in DiBiase and Jericho, keep him in the corner. Legacy here managed to get Jericho out of his corner, put the boots to him. They hit a chop block and a clothesline combination for a near fall on Chris Jericho. Cody Rhodes utilizes a moonsault to a standing Chris Jericho to get a two count, which was not aware Cody Rhodes did moonsaults. (laughs) Jericho goes for the walls of Jericho on DiBiase, but Teddy escapes and tries Dream Street on Jericho. Jericho escapes, pulls DiBiase in the walls of Jericho. Cody breaks it up by DDTing. Chris Jericho. Big Show makes a blind tag, spears DiBiase for a two count before Cody breaks it up. Chris Jericho hits a code breaker to Rhodes, and Big Show locks in his latest finishing move, the Colossal Clutch, which is a camel clutch, but he's colossal, so Big Show here, just trying out every finisher. Well, I don't want his ass sitting on me pulling back on my head. No, and Ted DiBiase Jr. taps out for the win, so off to the races for Jericho here. I was surprised that Big Show actually got a halfway decent reaction when he was announced as the partner. He did. I know what it would be today. It would just be, you would feel the air. Crickets. Deflated. Yeah. <laughs> Are you serious? This is the best guy you could find. When the match is over, Jericho does the code of honor and shake hands a bunch and celebrate. This card was full of just okay TV matches. I hate to say yeah. it, but nothing really interesting here. Not The wrestling in the company is much better today than it was even 10 years ago and you can see it here not that Cody Rhodes and Ted DiBiase Jr. weren't bad but they weren't doing anything great and we know what to get from Chris Jericho and Big Show we definitely know what to get from Big Show Josh Matthews is with CM Punk CM Punk takes the mic and goes out to the crowd which I thought this was a cool camera shot this he was takes the mic and then just walks through the curtain and I thought that was brilliant ladies and gentlemen please allow me to introduce to you the World Heavyweight Champion, CM Punk. And Punk, if you don't mind, can you talk to me about your World Heavyweight Championship match later tonight? You're defending your title against a man that stated that you have forgotten what it's like to be human, Jeff Hardy. You know what, Josh? I'm not going to answer your question. Instead, I'm going to ask a question of my own, and I'm going to ask it to the audience. So audience, do you mean to tell me that after everything I've said, after telling you the truth, that you're still behind Jeff Hardy? 
Cabalas. despite evidence to the contrary, still choose to support a man who for all intents and purposes can't even support himself? Okay, okay, so, so if you're a Jeff Hardy fan, if you're wearing a Jeff Hardy t-shirt, if you're wearing one of his diabolical little hand sleeves, God forbid if you have your face painted, I wanna see you stand up right now. I want to hear you make some noise. Go ahead. If you love and support Jeff Hardy, let the world know. Now, cameraman, cameraman did a good shot, did a real good shot at all these people. The truth is, ladies and gentlemen, I don't blame you. I don't blame anybody here for supporting Jeff Hardy. The people I blame are their parents. Or, or let's, let's be realistic. I, I said parents. What I should have said is parent. Because it's obviously a single parent situation, just like the way Jeff Hardy grew up. See, you people are so concerned about the relationship with your children failing, just like your marriage did, that you acquiesce to their every whim and their every desire. I hate to tell you, this doesn't make you a good parent, Philadelphia. This makes you an enabler. And the fact that you even let your children look up to a guy like Jeff Hardy just shows that you really don't care what happens to them to begin with. It's a sad situation. So I don't blame anybody here or sitting at home watching this that supports Jeff Hardy if they're under 17. Because they're young and they're, well, they're impressionable. The real problem lies with the parents. It's the parents who don't make the conscious effort to sit their children down and teach them the proper way to live. You see, it starts with a Jeff Hardy t-shirt. The next thing you know, they're smoking a pack of cigarettes. After that, they're drinking a bottle of beer. Right after that, they move on to shots of Jack Daniels. Which is a gateway drug for marijuana. And the fact that you people sit here and cheer that just goes to show I'm telling the truth. How about some old-fashioned street drugs? And then before you know it, they're rummaging through mom's purse because they're addicted 
They're addicted to her prescription medication. All of this can be stopped before it's too late. Parents, all you have to do is talk to your children. Sit them down and show them the way. Tell them the words that can save their lives. Show them that sometimes it's what you don't do that makes you who you are. For weeks, for weeks, I've been saying to people like you, just say no. But tonight, I think we should all just say yes. Yes to the future of a straight-edge, drug-free America. Just say yes to the winner of tonight's match. Just say yes to the world heavyweight champion. Thank you. He says if you people choose Jeff Hardy, stand up and make some noise, which is weird because he's getting cheers for the other guy. Then Punk says the truth is... I don't blame anyone for supporting Jeff Hardy. I blame your parents, or your parents' parents, because you had to have come from a single-parent home to like someone as disgusting as Jeff Hardy. Which, I don't know why single-parent homes had to be the source of Punk's rage, but okay. Probably talking to a lot of people in the arena. CM Punk basically says if you like Jeff Hardy, it's a gateway drug. It is. And you'll be doing marijuana before the night's over, basically. (laughs) The Don't Try This at Home promo plays, which they have cut back on these a lot. Don't see these all the time. No, you don't. But back in the day, man, every single... You saw it at least twice a show. I was annoyed with the DVDs because you couldn't skip them on the DVDs. You had to watch them to get to the menu. Yeah. So a lot of us have memorized the words to some of them. Tony Chimmel introduces the ECW title match here in Philadelphia. And Tommy Dreamer comes out first, the champion out first. That's just wrong. Doesn't get that good of a reaction here in Philadelphia. Not even ECW chance. And I thought that was kind of weird. The one place you would think he would be over at. Well, I mean, this is the shitty ECW, too. I know, yeah. It's the silver belt. It's WWE ECW. And he's taking on Christian, who is really the only WWE ECW champion that I can even remember, quite frankly. I I know a couple of the others. Um, but he is challenging for the belt tonight. Josh Matthews and Matt Stryker have the call. So Josh Matthews had to walk all the way out and sit down at the table for this one. But these guys had an easy night of work. They call one match, go home. Well, Matthews had to do commentary. Matt Stryker had the easiest night of work. Dreamer and Christian exchange slaps. Christian baseball slides Dreamer into the announcer's table. Then Dreamer hits a somersaulting senton off the apron to Christian. He blocks an unprettier and a sleeper. But Christian goes back to it again, and both men are flung out of the ring as Dreamer counters once again. Dreamer puts Christian in the tree. Whoa, drop kicks him. Then Dreamer puts Christian in the Texas Cloverleaf, but Christian fights out of it. An unprettier is countered into a DDT attempt, but then Christian brings it back into an unprettier. One, two, three. Christian has won the ECW championship. Another basic TV match here. Well, I mean, why are you having an ECW title match without any type of ECW styles. No weapons. No... I mean, you had a rope break in the thing. You had... There was nothing remotely similar. This was extreme. To Oh, God, yeah. Oh, it was 
extreme with count that. outs and yes. rope breaks. Rope breaks. All the stuff you love from ECW. Yeah. I thought they really screwed up by putting Christian on the ECW brand when he returned from TNA. I guess this was his punishment. How dare you? Well, for leaving. Yeah. yeah. How dare you go to TNA? You're going to start an ECW and work your way back because they lost a few great years of Christian's career here. I mean, he was the top guy in TNA. He was their star. He was the whole promotion was focused on him. For he was there what three or four years. Yeah, he had a had a good run. Yeah, won the title right away. Was heavily promoted. Got promo time, and then the money was just too good, Patrick. And he came back, and he was punished by being put on this brand. Then he really didn't get a push on the main roster. It really is the main roster. Didn't get a push until Edge retired, and then. Wouldn't you know it, Christian gets hurt too, has to retire. So he was just wasted here, and it's a real shame. Tommy Dreamer too. I mentioned some of the stars that had left. RVD had left too by this point. So they mentioned Tommy Dreamer, the only original ECW guy left on the entire roster. Pretty sad. Dudleys had been are gone. I mean, Team 3D, excuse me. Yeah. Oh, after the match, Tommy Dreamer wants a handshake, but Christian gives him a hug and said, this is extreme. Todd is with Jericho. <laughs> Jericho says it's all about business. There are 40 championships between the two of us. Well, I know who's got most of them. And I know who didn't deserve hardly any of them between those two. <laughs> so, yeah, it's all about business. The six-pack challenge for the U.S. title is next, and the commentators here were not clued in as to how this works. I, I do believe they screwed up. They thought it was an elimination match. And then realized it wasn't. About I thought it was an elimination match. Ma- yeah, I did too. Uh, Which would have been awesome. But it would have been better than this. Or they could have at least, I don't know, thrown a ladder in there or something. Something. Jack Swagger is out first. Uh-oh. Followed by Carlito, The Miz, Primo, who replaced Big Show in this match, MVP, and then the champion, SOS something Jamaican, Kofi Kingston. If you had told me in 10 years one of these guys will be the WWE champion, I probably wouldn't have bet my money on Kofi Kingston. I wouldn't have bet my money on Miz either. Yeah. And Miz has been a top guy now. Yeah, I probably would have picked Swagger out of this group because, oh, he's an amateur wrestler. They love that shit. Yeah. No. We were wrong. But Swagger did have a world title run. Miz had a world title run, and now Kofi has his. So three of these six wrestlers have reached the top of the mountain. Don't think Primo is going to get that chance, but... Carlito, maybe. Primo's still on the roster. He is. I think they had checked out of Carlito at this point, because for a year or two, when he first came in, man, Dude, I thought... He was hot. Yeah, yeah they, they put him all over their TV. They had him in matches... They had him in segments with Legends doing the Apple stuff. Yeah. I thought he was for sure going to be a huge star, but then they just totally Dropped lost it. interest yeah. in him. And MVP too, though. Oh, yeah, MVP. I thought, oh, man, the, the, the push that MVP and Carlito both got. Coming right out of the gate was huge, and then just it filtered off in a matter of hours, it seems like, you know? I think the thing that MVP had going against him was his body because he wrestled in that that bodysuit and I guess what well, didn't have a good enough body in their eyes to to not wrestle in that and you know Vince oh god it's all about the look got to be beef so I think that's what actually hurt him <laughs> where's the beef yeah 
I thought his character was really lame, though, MVP. Like, Really? Yeah, just, you know, Mr. Positivity, like, hey, you can turn your life around. You you don't have to be in prison. You can be like me. And, like, his <laughs> basketball shot shit, his finisher move was terrible. I think he was a fine wrestler, but it's just the packaging and stuff didn't work for me. It was just too car- – it was, like, it was too Saturday morning, like, anti-drug special to me. <laughs> Everyone just brawls here. Carlito and Kofi hit each other in the back of the head with a springboard reverse elbow – Primo hits a hurricane run at a Swagger and a crossbody to Miz for a near fall. Swagger throws MVP into the barricade. Carlito hits a springboard senton out to Swagger and MVP, who are waiting for him on the outside. They do the Tower of Doom spot, which would have looked better on a ladder, but they did it in the corner, and Miz takes the brunt of it as it was a Tower of Doom superplex. Carlito, Primo, and Kofi exchange near falls. Carlito and Primo reunite during the match they were brothers that hated each other at the start of this match are now working together so for no reason apparently mvp does the ballin elbow drop to swagger which is that basketball shot shit that he did that (laughs) i had no interest in he sets up his terrible finishing move the playmaker on jack swagger but miz hits the skull crushing finale but the colognes break the cover we get a backstabber to primo from carlito he actually stabbed his brother in the back here Then we get a trouble in paradise to Carlito as Kofi had just snuck in the ring, hit the trouble in paradise, and retained his U.S. title. This was a fine match. Again, it felt like a TV. It felt like a raw five-man or six-man match. I think when it's on pay-per-view, I know that they overdo ladder matches a lot, so maybe you have a different stip in there, but gotta have big spots, especially with a guy like Kofi Kingston who can fly. And uh, wasn't able to really showcase his, his range, and he was the one booked to retain the belt. And he actually didn't do that much in this match. So, what do you think of the match? I thought it was a good match. It moved fluently, but I don't know. I would like to have seen elimination. I would like to have seen if you're going to throw six man out, you know, six different individuals out there for a title. Let's throw a gimmick in there or something. Josh Matthews is with Randy Orton. This is not Randy Orton from 2004. No, this is almost present day Randy Orton. He's got voices in his head. Randy says it was unfortunate that Legacy lost earlier. And I'm betting that I'm going to win the three-way because, guess what, my opponents, well, they'll cancel each other out. So some Randy Orton math there. Todd Grisham and JR are on the call for the SmackDown match featuring women's champ Michelle McCool, Mrs. Taker. Is she going to do the the last ride? Well, at one point she had the Styles Clash as her finisher. She did. Yeah. I think it was right here. Uh, she didn't do it in this match, no, sadly. Um, but, yes. She's taking on Melina, who will be at Raw on Monday night. Weird they couldn't get Taker or Michelle McCool for Monday night. Maybe that'll be a surprise. Because Probably. he just wrestled for them. Yeah. They didn't want to pay that first-class airfare. Well, not for Melina. She writes coach. Oh, the, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean for Taker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they'll stick her on a bus. <laughs> Michelle McCool baseball slides Melina when she does her apron split, so she's a dirty heel. Melina spears McCool and gets off a few punches. McCool works a half crab. The Divas battle on the barricade, and Michelle does the safest DDT ever to Melina on the barricade. I mean, it sounds like an extreme spot, but man, they the lightest touch here. McCool gets an ear fall with a belly-to-belly. Melina tries a seated senton from the second buckle, but McCool reverses the cover into one of her own. One, two, three. Michelle McCool retains the title. Despite doing nothing in this match, she 
was so limited in this match. She did get better, I think, as time went on. But in this match, Molina was the better worker. And for some reason, didn't do any of the work. And what was sad about this pay-per-view is that Molina is in a match with someone who's not a good wrestler. And then later on, you see Mickey James in a match with someone who is not very good as a wrestler. And so you had two good wrestlers that just couldn't wrestle each other. Just because. Because it's all about titles. we got to get those titles defended. Well, yeah. John Cena is in his John Deere. His John Cena Deere-inspired gear. He should have come out to Joe Diffie in this shit. Uh, he gets ready <laughs> John for... John Green. Yeah. He gets ready for the title match. Ted DiBiase Sr. is a good guy, apparently, because Orton tried to get out of this match by having the number one contenders match end in a double DQ. Randy Orton thought he outsmarted the system. Did he not see that this was a pay-per-view where all titles were going to be defended? I guess not. Everybody's got a price. So the Million Dollar Man makes it a three-way. Cena's out first, then Hunter, and then Orton, who walks slower than The Undertaker coming down the ramp, so I had to fast-forward through his walk. They all square off, and Orton slithers out of the ring as this was when he actually believed, I think, he was a snake. So he did a lot more of his snake mannerisms in this match than he does today. At one point, his eyes light up so big when he's going for an RK. Or he's going for a punt in his eyes. Yeah, he gets just, all like... Yeah, it was hilarious. Cena and Hunter go after him instead of fighting each other. So this is a two-on-one handicap match here. You know what would have been crazy is if Orton just brought out Legacy with him to start the match. Because it's no DQ. It's a three-way. Right, so. yeah. I wonder I I wonder if we'll see them in this match. Orton and Hunter start Probably th- not. Orton and Hunter finally start throwing some strikes. Cena Bulldogs Orton and Hunter and John take on Orton. Orton retreats again and Hunter and Cena track him down on the ramp. Orton finally knocks Cena into Hunter, so now both of them are down on the ring mats. Orton takes Cena into the ring, but Cena gets the upper hand, lands the five knuckle shuffle, but Hunter stops the attitude adjustment. Orton hits a scoop slam on Hunter, wants the RKO, but Hunter stops him and hits a DDT. Cena overshoots a leg drop to Orton and Hunter, and both men still sell it anyway. You fucking guys <laughs> are too good to fucking sell that shit. Like, do, it, do something different. He missed. Nope, they dropped to the ground. <laughs> Orton attempts the draping DDT to Cena and Hunter, but they backdrop him out of the ring. Hunter and Cena have a strike yay boo battle where hunter is getting the yays and cena gets the boos so it's pretty crazy to see hunter get cheered but that's what's happening cena lifts hunter for the attitude adjustment it's countered into a pedigree attempt which is countered into an stf attempt which is countered into another pedigree attempt which is turned into an aa attempt which finally ends with hunter hitting a spine buster and then a pedigree but Orton breaks the count. Orton wants to throw Hunter on the announce desk, but Cena tosses him into the crowd. Cena puts Hunter in the STF on the table, but this isn't a false count anywhere match, so Orton stops it, brings Cena back into the ring. Cena blocks an RKO. Cena wants a super AA to Orton off the buckle, but Hunter breaks it up, gets catapulted into Orton, who gets crotched, and then Hunter finds himself in the STF. Orton fires up for the punt by his eyes lighting up like a little kid on Christmas. He goes for the punt, but Cena sees him coming, rolls him up for a near fall. Hunter throws Cena out of the ring. Hunter puts on a terrible-looking sharpshooter. This one might be worse than the rocks, by the way, because he just crosses their feet at the very tippy top. So this is a worse-looking sharpshooter than the rocks, I'm afraid. (laughs) Shame on you, Hunter. Cena, instead of breaking this up, puts an STF on Orton, 
who taps out, but the ref can't call the match because he can't decide who actually got the submission. Then Legacy run in, beat down Cena and Triple H. Cena tries an AA to Rhodes, and Orton RKO's Cena with Rhodes on Cena's shoulders, so he sacrifices his own man to pin Cena and retain his precious WWE title. This wasn't that great of a three-way, really. They uh, <laughs> no, lots this was, of this was bad. Lots of chin locks from Wharton. Lots of rest holds from everybody. Not a lot of action. Nothing hardcore. No one said, "Hey, I'll get a chair and go for this." Ah, just a standard. This was a TV. This was a Raw three-way. Ends with a fuck finish. Miz runs into his future wife in the back, Maurice who doesn't want to kiss him because he's a loser. You didn't win the U.S. title tonight. Well, Miz says to her, well, you butcher English, and you're going to butcher your match tonight, lady. And he walks off. Chili from TLC is shown in the crowd. She's been at a few WWE pay-per-views. Don't go chasing waterfalls, but do go to WWE pay-per-views. Mickey James is out to challenge Maurice for the Divas title. Maurice stomped her after spraying hairspray in Mickey's eyes on Raw, so that's good enough, right, for a match? It is for me. Maurice brings the spray into the ring but loses it after Mickey kicks her in the gut. The ref takes it away from her. Mickey uses a DDT and defeats Maurice and is the new Divas champion. Congratulations, as this match didn't really feature much uh, from Maurice in terms of offense. But Mickey gets the belt, and Maurice is a loser just like her boyfriend, the Miz. <laughs> so they can the car ride home will be fun between these two. These young lovebirds. Josh Matthews is with Teddy and Cody. Cody has the Big Show's hand outlined in red on his chest from getting slapped. Teddy and Cody say, Randy still has the belt and that's all that matters. Dolph Ziggler and Rey Mysterio are out next. Rey is in purple pants and a huge mask that almost looks like a La Parca mask. It's half purple and half black. He gives it to a kid on the ramp, which it's kind of annoying that he only gives this stuff to kids in Rey Mysterio masks. Like, do the other kids not deserve it? What about those parents? kids of the parents that can't afford that shit. Right. Ray only rewards kids that buy merchandise. So, Ray's a bit of a jerk. We get uh, big shoulder blocks from Ziggler and he goes to a chin lock. Ray battles out but gets buckle bombed for his effort. Dolph goes back to the chin lock. Ray hits a springboard senton and a springboard crossbody for a near fall. Ray takes Dolph out of the ring and does a leaping seated senton from the apron. Ziggler tries a tiger bomb but Mysterio hurricane runs him into the ropes but misses the 619. Ziggler slaps on a full Nelson. Ziggler counters Mysterio coming off the buckles. He was doing an aerial move and he hits him with a nice drop kick. Ray wants a Hurricane Rana from the buckles, but Ziggler turns it into a gut buster. Ray hits an Insiguri that sends Dolph into position for the 619. Ray connects, hits a splash from the ropes, and Mysterio retains the belt. These two would have a much better match I think at SummerSlam. I know the match that we saw them wrestle in was actually a really good match, but this one tonight was not very good. No. Dolph kept him in a lot of chin locks and stuff, and it's Rey Mysterio, man. Go, You gotta go full speed. Yeah. You can't you can't do that stuff with Rey Mysterio and expect to have good results. Four weeks ago at the Bash, not the Great American Bash anymore, just the Bash, CM Punk kicked a ref to take the DQ win over Jeff Hardy, so... He's a dirty, cheating heel, that guy. And then CM Punk, in the weeks that followed, CM Punk would bring up Jeff Hardy's drug suspension, that he's got two strikes in the wellness policy, that he's fallen off the wagon and all this stuff. Now everybody's talking about the big controversy stemming from the bash 
I think that elbow cup see a punk right in the eye. Oh, hey! Punk just, punk just got disqualified is what he did. People are saying that I purposely struck an official to take a cheap way out and retain my title by disqualification. I pride myself on being a competitor. Jeff Hardy certainly has his opinion of what CM Punk has done. I have never taken the cheap way out. I don't take shortcuts inside this ring or outside. Jeff Hardy is so close to standing on top of the mountain. I don't want to hear your excuses anymore. And you knew exactly what you were doing when you kicked that referee. I can see right through you. I mean, come on, what does straight edge mean? That you're a liar? Jeff Hardy, you have no idea who I am as a person. You live your life the way you do, and I live my life the way I do. But my advice to you is very simple, and it's something that you should have done a long time ago. Just say no. No. for Jeff Hardy are just slaves to the vices associated with his living in the moment. Punk, you just keep bringing up my mistakes like I'm trying to hide behind something. You've got two strikes. You know how many I have? Zero. People make mistakes. Jeff, you know how many times I've been suspended? Zero. And those people can change. Do you know what your chances are of beating me at Night of Champions? Zero. So the match begins. CM Punk tries a GTS. Hardy slips out. Hardy tries to twist a fake. CM Punk avoids that. CM Punk puts Jeff in a chin lock. Jeff battles out, misses a crossbody, flings himself out of the ring. Punk misses a suicide dive and spikes himself into the barricade. Not to be outdone by this, Jeff Hardy dives from the buckle out into the barricade, so everyone's just smashing themselves into the barricade. CM Punk wants a count-out win, which I loved. I... More heels should just do this every time. Instead of them always just walking away, just beat your opponent down and try to get the count out win. The count makes it to nine before Jeff sneaks back in. <sighs> CM Punk puts Hardy in a bow and arrow, which is another great heel rest hold here. Punk looks for a superplex, but Hardy counters it with a DDT off the buckle. Hardy looks for the whisper in the wind, but gets crotched and falls off the buckle. CM Punk then does his running knee strike, but Jeff counters with a whisper in the wind and gets a near fall. Jeff tries a swanton, but misses. CM Punk then puts Hardy in a dragon sleeper, which Todd Grisham does not know the name of. So JR had to break from being in color commentary and tell him what it's called. As this arrangement was just so fucking backwards with Todd Grisham leading the way over JR. But they love fucking with JR. They just love it. 
Even though they'll invite him to a Raw reunion, they love fucking with this guy. He probably didn't want to show up because they were probably going to have him in a segment where he gets, uh, I don't know, his head pulled out of his ass again or something. (laughs) Hardy counters a CM Punk kick with a twist of fate, tries a swanton bomb, but Punk gets his knees up to block it. Jeff tries another whisper in the wind, but CM Punk counters it into the GTS, but Jeff kicks out at two. He did not go to sleep. Punk goes and grabs his belt and says, fuck this, I'll just walk off. Just leave this match behind in the past. Get a count out and take this baby home. But Jeff runs him down, brings him back into the ring, hits a twist of fate and a swanton bomb, and one, two, three, Jeff Hardy is the new world heavyweight champion. As his one-month title reign was underway, he would go on to lose this belt at SummerSlam back to CM Punk, and then would find himself out of the company in a couple more months after that because he took time off because he had restless leg syndrome, he just wanted a break, so he had the company release him, and then that's when all those drug charges popped up, and Jeff went through some troubled times before reappearing, re-debuting in TNA Impact on the January 4th edition where they went up against Monday Night Raw, which had a returning Bret Hart. So Jeff Hardy's return, not executed as well as Bret Hart's, not promoted as well, but he was one of the big stories that night in the second Monday Night Wars to take place. He had the potential to be a big star like John Cena. Actually, he was selling more merchandise than John Cena in 2009. Had the face paint gimmick going on at this time. Just. Yeah. Had all the makings, and really, this was 10 years, I think, too late. I think in 99, had they decided to, well, maybe not 99, 2002, after after the TLC match, I think Jeff Hardy was in a position then where they should have gone with it. Because he was always very over, even in the tag team, always way more over than Matt, until Matt got broken and became the bigger star for a brief period the last few years. But they just, they missed the boat on Jeff Hardy, and then his personal demons crept in, and then it was game over. But to bring him back from TNA this, this time and lose him again, basically, I mean, to no fault of their own, they were at least promoting him. They were giving him, this, this feud is the breakthrough for CM Punk being elevated to that level, but Jeff Hardy could have been there, too had he not fucked it up this time. Well, yeah. I mean, it's crazy to think about the the ride in which he had. He was WWE, left to go to TNA, came back to WWE, got in trouble, so went to TNA, left TNA, came back to WWE. Gets in trouble. Gets in trouble. It's a cycle. It really is. So that's it's. he's had a rough 10 years. He's had more than a rough 10 years. He's probably 15 or so at this point. Some of those wounds are self-inflicted from his own personal struggles. Yes. But some of it in the WWE's WWE's handling of him, back when Triple H was just dominating Monday Night Raw, they had guys like Jeff Hardy and RVD right under their nose that they could have pulled the trigger. And both guys with their own drug issues. I mean, RVD just can't put down the weed to stay clean but both guys have their issues obviously with jeff but both guys are just immensely talented and wrestle in a style that wwe had no interest in until a few years ago and now guys like seth rollins are the norm where you have guys doing big moves off the buckle and cardio is is heavily cardio is more emphasized than muscle mass yeah where a guy like braun Strowman, who is impressive who just signed a new deal 
can flip over cars and do all that Hulk shit, but he's not the champion. Yeah. And you're going with guys more like Jeff Hardy, the Jeff Hardy body type, the RVD body type, and wrestling type. So it's just a shame that the best years of their careers, Jeff and RVDs, were really wasted, I think, in the company. And when they were brought back, because both of them went to TNA at times, came back, went to TNA. They they almost had the same path. Yeah. And every time they were brought back, there were glimpses of, oh, something's going to happen. They're going to do something with them. And they did to a degree, but just couldn't, couldn't make it work, couldn't figure it out. Whether it was the performer or the company, just never... The stars never aligned for those guys, and I just think it's a real shame because Jeff was, like, one of my favorite wrestlers. Uh, I always picked him in video games and stuff. I just thought he was awesome. Had that great match with Undertaker on Raw that I thought was, that's the springboard. Like, that's all he needs. Like, he's off to the races. Like, just didn't happen. And tonight's match was a decent match. It felt like a TV main event with a title change in it. That was the only difference. They actually flipped a belt in the match but CM Punk wrestled like a heel he put him in a lot of chin locks he had the same strategy that Dolph did in his match against Rey Mysterio you got a high flyer okay I'm gonna ground him with rest holds and I just wish that he had been more athletic in his performance against Jeff Hardy because he just followed a match that had the same format to it this plays into what I was saying about CM Punk earlier is like we all have this great, oh, he's so amazing. He's so great. He put on some bad matches every once in a while. I'm not saying this one was bad, but this isn't memorable. This isn't yeah. legendary. Yeah. And by the way, him getting a haircut really changed his world because he just looks so dirty and greasy with that hair. Like, he looks like a carny indie wrestler. Like, yeah. Doesn't look like a main eventer. Even going up against a guy like Jeff Hardy, which, boy, the both of them look like they just crawled out of the same trailer park. It's, that's what's funny about this feud, too, is like, yeah, CM Punk's straight edge, but if you didn't know that, you would think he was into the same shit Jeff Hardy was in. Yeah. When they're actually two completely different personalities. But they actually look very similar as far as ratty trailer park guys. So this pay-per-view overall, really not memorable, but it wasn't offensive. It wasn't offensive you know, it was just filler. That's what I thought about a lot of WWE. That's what I thought about a lot of pay-per-views during this time. It just felt like, oh, okay, that's something. Yeah. It it wasn't as it wasn't like Heat Wave 2000 where I felt like I was fe- I felt angry to how bad it was. This wasn't bad, but it wasn't good. This was just nothing. And that's why I think a lot of these pay-per-views and storylines from this time are kind of forgotten because they're just kind of there. Yeah. But they were trying to redefine their identity, the company. So, what did you think of this pay-per-view overall? I thought it was good. There was a lot of down spots. A lot of down spots for me. Um, there were a few that were really, really good. Um, the Ray and Dolph, just, I didn't like it. Yeah, and I actually was looking forward to that match because I remember the good match that they had that I thought, man, this Dolph Ziggler guy, he's going to be great. Yeah. Turns out, in 2019, I don't still feel that way about Dolph. But, yeah, he had a lot of potential. He had no character, though, defining it. He's a blonde guy. To this day, I still don't know what his character is. He's the show-off. Okay, so he shows off in the ring because he doesn't show off anywhere else. He's a mixture of Shawn Michaels and Billy Gunn. I'd recommend the main event watching it. Yes. And outside of the main event between Punk and Jeff Hardy, I wouldn't watch this again. This This was just nothingness. 
felt like a it felt like an episode of Raw without the stupid segments. So on our rating scale, Hornswoggle to Giant Gonzalez. Where do you rank this one, Patrick? Ooh, I'm gonna give it a Maurice. Wow, Maurice, not very high praise. I am going to give it I'm gonna give it a primo. Primo, okay. Yeah. That's because he was on this. He's still at the company, by the way. He is. Even though they haven't been on TV in feels like years. Primo and Epico. Yeah, the shining stars, and then they were just the colognes. Before that, they were the bull guys. What were they? The Matadors, El Matadors. I thought they were the Conquistadors. No, that's a different one. El Matadors. They were El Matadors? Yeah. Ugh, terrible stuff. Yeah, with the little condoms on their head. That was my pick for this episode, Patrick. Where will we be going next week? Well, this one's going to be a little hard to find. You're going to have to go to your Hidden Gems collection. You're going to have to go to the year 1986. And we're going to see what this whole cross-country Great American Bash tour thing is all about. Because you see, Great American Bash wasn't just one event. When it started in 1986, it was events in different locations through the entire month. And so, while the cameras were rolling... Not sure how well the commentary is, so we may have to just go along with our own commentary on it. However, we're going to go back to Greensboro, 1986, in the Hidden Gems Collection, a part of the July Great American Bash Tour across the United States of America. So, three hours of Greensboro, Great American Bash, 1986. It's in your Hidden Gems Collection. Your main event is a steel cage match. With none other than the Nature Boy Ric Flair's champion taking on the Bullwood, the Thun of a Paloma, the American Dream, Dusty Road. I bet the crowd should be going nuts for that one in Greensboro in 1986. That sounds, you can't get much more NWA than that. No, this is straight, this isn't even Jim Crockett promotions. This is straight just NWA. So it's great, man. I'm looking I'm looking forward to it. When I stumbled across this last night, they have Greensboro and then they have a couple of others on there, but I stumbled across it. Like one of the other ones is Ric Flair versus uh Ricky Morton for the title. And so wow. but it's it's really cool. It's really That's where we'll be going next week in the Hidden Gems collection. Go to powerslam.tv, use the promo code Retro Wrestling and get a month for free. I'll do it for this week. I'm intern Alex. I'm the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. Saying as always, my clothesline's clothesline. And bingo bango.